Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, Koshi here. Before we get into this episode of The Call, I've got a favor to ask. The bigger the Ausbiz audience, the more we can invest in great content and keep providing quality investment ideas to you for free. If you could just take a minute of your time to leave a review of the call in the Apple podcast app, it'll help keep our tribe growing. And of course, don't forget to catch up with all the best interviews each day at ausbiz.com.au. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the call. Hi, welcome back to Ausbiz Australia's only live streaming business and markets channel. Great to have your company as we kick off the afternoon with The Call. 60 minutes where we take a look at 10 stocks that uh, you've sent in, you'd like us to have a look at, and where I put them to our expert panel for adjudication. I choose the stock of the day and uh, it is fast and furious with lots of great information to put you in the right direction. Let's welcome our expert panel today. James Rosenberg from Bay News joins us. And gee, even though he's in lockdown, working from home, still puts the tie on and the uh, and the striped shirt. James, you're a professional. David, David, don't think the tie's going to last a minute after we hang up from this. <laughs> uh, someone that's uh, sort of taking on that wild and rugged Bear Grylls look in lockdown. Chris McDonald from Morgan's. How are you, mate? Yeah, very well. It takes me a long time to grow a beard, so I thought I'd take the opportunity. Koshy, it doesn't come around every day. <laughs> exactly right. We all need a bit of a hobby to amuse us. Uh, great to have your company and uh, your input over the next 60 minutes or so. All right, let's get stuck right into it. Um, with our stock of the day, something that's uh, in the news and a stock that's currently in the calls fantasy portfolio is Evolution Mining. Uh, called for a trading halt this morning. Evolution saying it's entering into a $400 million Northern Star Resources. Uh, under the proposed deal, Evolution is set to acquire all of Northern's carbine operations as well as majority stakes in each of the latter's joint ventures in the WA goldfields. This news comes off the back of uh, Northern Star naming Stuart Tonkin as managing director and former MD Ray, uh, Rayleigh Finlayson becoming an executive director. So this is all part of the, uh, the Northern Star uh, merger with Saracen and the fallout of that. Um, James Rosenberg, what do you think of the, uh, the news today, the impact on, on evolution? Oh, yawn, David. Um, look, evolution is a gold miner uh, predominantly in Australia and New Zealand. Producing, what, about 700,000 ounces. This will take them up towards 900,000. Um, we've spoken about gold producers before. They are completely reliant on things that are outside of their control, predominantly the gold price. Yep. And um, they've raised money over time for acquisitions like this. 
Um, they're not a bad company, but I just can't get enthused about uh, a company that is a complete price taker on a commodity that has got no transparency whatsoever. If I had to buy one gold company, I'd actually buy the shares in the one that they're buying this asset from, namely uh, Northern Star. They've had modest earnings growth over time. There's nothing particularly wrong with them, but there's nothing to get particularly excited about either. So, okay. no, so, no so you're, you're bearish on the whole gold sector? I'm not bearish on the on the sector at all. I'm neither bearish nor bullish. I do not have the ability to predict what the gold price will do and therefore the the, the um, uh, profitabilities of, of gold producers. And I don't know anyone that can predict it because there's so many variables, central banks turning the tap on and off on um, whether they're buying or selling. So I just prefer to have companies that I've got a high degree of certainty that they're going to have uh, earnings at a particular level and then you can work out what you're willing to pay for them and I have no confidence in my ability to guess what the gold price will be so it's just not yeah, a sector that I find attractive. Yep, Chris, what do you think of Evolution and uh, and the New Deal? Yeah, I think I agree with James on the pr predictability of the gold price. A lot of people thought it would be trending higher with all this money printing. We haven't seen that uh, flush through the system yet. Uh, so if we set that aside, and there are some reasons why gold may improve in the second half on the back of a weakening US dollar um, and a, a, you know inflationary risk coming down the pipe. Uh, in terms of the deal itself, I think it makes sense for both parties, uh, Northern Star, the merger with Saracen, and really taking on that super fit in Kalgoorlie. They've got their hands full as it is. Uh, it makes strategic sense for Evolution to really unlock uh, some of their ground that is sitting around uh, Kandana and the new processing facility they picked up. So for them, it allows them to embed some strategic growth to up their profile by about 200,000 ounces and, and uh, keep their costs under control. So if you're a believer in uh, the gold price uh, and the Aussie gold price, more importantly, given that recent fall in the Aussie dollar, then this is a good move for uh, evolution. It has been in a downtrend. We saw it above $6 last year. So they've done a placement at 385. And if we see it down there in the next week or so, it's probably worth picking up a few if you already own it. Uh, for me, I prefer the diversity of Oz Minerals. Oz has been a great success story. It has come off a good 20% in recent times. I like the fact that it's a major copper producer as well. Uh, I'm bullish on copper. I think the demand for copper for industrial processes and for electric vehicles is uh, in a mid-bull uh, market. So for me, uh, taking on James's uh, uh, call, I'd prefer to diversify a little bit for portfolios and look at Oz Minerals after the recent pullback. Okay. All right. Uh, thank you for that. Now let's get in into the stocks that you've sent in for us to take a look at. And um, Chris, Sticking with the resources area, uh, Paul wants a, a view on South, uh, South 32. Paul says, my buy price for South 32 was at $2.50. I'm reconsidering my position. I'm worried that we're at the peak of the mining cycle and that there is more downside than upside risk from here. Is it still a hold or a sell at these levels? And uh, South 32... Um, of course, is the old BHP metals division, the BHP uh, base metals division, the BHP uh, sold off a little while ago. Um, what do you think of South 32? 
Yeah, that's an interesting one, a fair bit to unpack there by Paul. Uh, he obviously bought it well, and, and at these levels, it's it's definitely a hold. I know they've got out of their South African coal division, finally, uh, trying to up their ESG uh, credentials and to reduce uh, their overall impact on, on global greenhouse gas emissions. Um, seems to be pretty stagnant here at the moment, as you've seen there. Um, so I can't put much beyond a hold on them at these point. Uh, they do have assets across aluminium, nickel, manganese and magnesium. Uh, all of those look reasonably okay at the moment. Uh, but again, I'd probably uh, be searching for other assets which have more strategic growth profiles, uh, such as copper, uh, over that basket of commodities. So for me, it's a hold. Uh, I think that the commodity cycle's got further to run. We've got two or three years at least in, in the expansion wow. globally, but we'll see how we go. Okay, so, so I was going to ask you Paul's point then. He's worried that we're at the peak of the mining cycle. You reckon it's got a bit further to go? Look, I think so. Well, you know, regardless of the talk about uh, inflation, I think that's uh, transitionary. And what we've seen globally is central banks and governments uh, are disregarding that that fear and really pump priming these economies to get them going. And the easy way to do that is to stimulate construction and infrastructure, and that uses a lot of metal inputs. And for that reason, I think we've got a couple of years to go uh, in in the commodity space. Uh, course the easy gains have come and gone and we've seen the huge recovery since last March so for us it's kind of pushing higher I'm looking at where that supply demand fundamentals are five years out and as I've touched on I think copper is going to structural decline by 2024 so I think upping the exposure there is probably a safer bet I know we're seeing at all-time highs and of course oils just had uh, a little bit of a pullback on the back of uh, OPEC uh, agreeing to increase supply so I think there's more room to run. And if you don't want to hide out in a, a BHP, which is fully priced, uh, start to look at, uh, as I said, a little bit more copper exposure. Mm, okay. Uh, James, South 32. I agree with Chris. We're, um, we're, we're at the peak. The thing is, we don't know how long the peak will last. I suspect it's going to last for quite a while for the reasons that Chris said. Um, but I go back to the same comments about evolution and, and frankly, every other mining company. They're price takers. They're highly capital intensive. Um, frankly, with earnings at a peak, they've averaged earning, uh, earnings growth um, with the cycle at a peak. They've averaged earnings growth about six percent a year for the last five or six years. It's just not that attractive. I'd, I'd look. It's it's not expensive. It's sort of roughly ten times earnings. It's got a pretty generous dividend yield. They're a uh, low quarter. I think they're in the lowest quartile of production costs in every commodity they're in, but I can't see a reason to be there. It, if, if their earnings growth is, um, you know, single digits in one of the biggest mining booms in history, yep. I can't yeah. get enthused. It's a it's a really good question to ask, isn't it? If if you have been through a boom, and you because this is a time if they're a cyclical stock like this, um, you usually usually buy them at the, the depths of the cycle and hopefully they can make hay uh, during the boom times. But but James, if if you haven't made hay during a boom time... Um, well, none of them have. None of them yeah. have. You know, the Fortescue yeah. has and mineral, mineral resources um, because they're 
not great allocators of capital, frankly. They 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 um they they tend to be pretty efficient at what they do. But you know, BHP has produced earnings growth of about the same six or eight percent um, average over the last five or six years. It it's it's not a sector that is a great investment sector. It's a good yeah. sector to trade. Um, but I go back to that point. Um, that, rather like to add to the point that um, about peak cycle earnings and them being on on uh, ten times earnings with cyclical stocks you want to you want to buy them on a um, on a high PE and sell them on a low PE yeah. it sounds counterintuitive but basically the market at the moment is is suggesting that earnings are at a peak um, they won't be repeated they might be you know, next year they might be for a couple of years but over the uh, over the next economic cycle they won't be be repeated and that's why um, you know that's why they appear to be cheap uh, you, when they're at a trough cycle earnings they tend to be at a high mm. PE and frankly from a trading point of view that's when you want to buy them but from an investment point, point of view I just can't find the sector yep. attractive at all. Okay all right uh, James Gavin wants a view on Horizon the uh, uh, the big rail company um, uh, they run the central Queensland coal network out there. Uh, ship 250 million tonnes of Australian commodities uh, per year, um, which is a huge amount, isn't it? Uh, connecting miners, primary producers. Uh, is it the old, It's the old Queensland Rail, Pacific, isn't it? Pacific National Rail. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. What do you think of Horizon? Look, they're, they're irreplaceable assets. They're fantastic assets, um, whether it's uh, mining commodities, agricultural commodities, vehicles, any sort of bulk freight. I think if we come back to this earth in a thousand years' time, we're still using rail to transport those sorts of uh, bulk commodities. Where we're not going to build inland canals. But it's too big for the roads. We're too heavy for the air. So it's a really resilient sort of business. They do have their ups and downs with um, with the climate up in Queensland. You know, it's prone to, to cyclones and flooding, so you get a little bit of uh, lumpiness in their earnings. Um, it's not a particularly attractive business from a growth point of view, but it's a very solid business from the point of view of um, of there's really no competition for rail for moving bulk freight. Um, it's on a pretty good dividend yield, so. I guess the question, Gavin, is if you're an investor for growth, probably not. If you're an investor for income, absolutely, why not? They're, they're great assets. Yeah. Uh, Warren Buffett bought railroads in the US. Um, you know, very happy. It's not particularly exciting business, but you don't have to be exciting to uh, to, to meet your goals. And yeah. if you, if income's your goals, I think you've got a lot of certainty around the um, consistency of that distribution. And you're getting it at the moment at close to a five-year low as well. So. Yeah. Yeah, and, and some of the reasons for that around uh, questions about the sustainability of coal, and there's no doubt that that is a long-term issue for uh, coal miners and coal ports and coal uh, and rail operators, um, but it's not going away in the short term. It's just you're not going to wake up tomorrow and find we're no longer uh, we're no longer mining and, and shipping coal. Yep. Okay, Chris. That's an interesting point. And if we look at management, they've been upfront about the variety of scenarios around coal and the future. And they're talking about major changes between 2030 and 2040. So they're focusing on the growth of bulk commodities, whether that be cars or other shipping containers, whether that be uh, soft commodities, uh, wheats, grains, uh, uh, cattle, sheep, etc. 
Uh, that's their focus at the, at the moment. And for Gavin, if you're looking at a 7% yield versus uh, what, 1% if you're lucky in cash and maybe even getting 10% in share price growth, uh, the trends, your friends, they have been recovering. We can see that probably continuing at least until February next year when you do get that threat of cyclones shutting down some of the coal. Uh, so for me, I'm very happy buyer at these levels uh, for that income, strategic assets, and they do have a long-term plan in place as well, focusing on cost control. So notwithstanding that looking chart, it's turned positive. And uh, if that's your goal, income, I think you'll be pleasantly looked mm -hmm. after over the next six to 12 months, Kevin. Okay, good option there for income investors who are hit pretty hard at the moment with uh, with interest rate returns in other areas, so worth keeping a look at. So there you go, Gavin, um, worth a look for income. Um, Chris, Thomas wants a view on prospect resources. Thomas mm -hmm. says there's soon to be lithium developer in Zimbabwe with a large high-grade asset. It seems that much of the sovereign risk of investing in Zimbabwe has been priced in. But with the pilot plant now commissioned and demonstrated support by the Zimbabwean government, it seems like a great opportunity. Question mark. Look, it seems like a fantastic opportunity, I'm sure. Uh, the question is, you know, where are you at in your risk profile and how patient are you? Just because they've got a pilot plant, it'll still take a number of years and a couple of rounds of financing from both banks and shareholders to get this into meaningful supply. A lot can happen in that time. We step back. I'm still a produce, uh, believer in lithium, uh, particularly large-scale contracted lithium. Uh, I note that they've got offtake agreements, uh, but note that they are selling a concentrate of spodumene. They're not selling the lithium carbonate, which is a high-value product. And uh, they will need further capital along the line. So expect uh, shareholders to have to put their hand in their pocket. I think in this space, you probably, if you believe in that whole uh, uh, EV metals division, have a portfolio of stocks. This is in the higher risk category. Uh, if you're looking at developers, have a look at Iron Air, which is in Nevada, just down the road from Tesla's uh, Gigafactory. They've got ex-chair of Oracobre, heavy hitters out of Rio Tinto, and uh, strategic position there in the US that are craving for their own supply. So don't be afraid to look at others. Uh, it's similarly well-developed, and as I said, I think it's got more strategic uh, benefit. There's another one uh, that we like called Navonics, which produce uh, uh, graphite, uh, synthetic, also in the US, have agreements with Samsung and Sanyo, and they're doing a lot of development work on technology around lithium-ion batteries. So don't be afraid to diversify. Uh, this is a high-risk, high-reward, notwithstanding the jurisdiction. Uh, and these things always take longer and cost more. Yeah. So uh, I like lithium, but I'm still cautious on this stock. Okay, what was that second one? I didn't quite get that one. A company called Novonics, N-V-X. Okay. Yeah. All right, James? Well, David, it won't surprise you. If I didn't like South 32, I'm not going to like this company. Um, <laughs> they've raised capital pretty much every year. They've been in existence. Um, Zimbabwe, golly. Um, how do you know there's enough... Uh, sovereign risk price in it's um, it's a hard no for me. I've given it a lot of uh, thought, and I can't think of a single reason why I'd want to be in this stock. Um, not saying it won't work, but um, I can't see it. I think if you want to play uh, the lithium space, um, Chris mentioned Iron Ear as a 
uh, a company that's sort of in uh, development mode, that's probably not a bad one to look at if you want one that's producing at the moment and and um, processing highly, highly profitable and got um, significant iron ore exposure for themselves and uh, and crushing for others. Mineral resources, yeah. making a hell of a lot of money out of lithium. Uh, but yeah, this... Uh, yeah. Zimbabwe, uh, wonderful place to visit, fabulous place to go and photograph, but um, yeah. I wouldn't want to invest and, there. And, and James, a lot, a lot of people recommend mineral resources in this area because as Chris saying, you know, if you're a believer, that that's terrific in lithium, but there's a bit of risk to it. It's a fairly sort of risk because it, it's a, a newish area. Um, mineral resources gives you a portfolio of, of other metals um that that can cushion it does it gives you a portfolio oh absolutely and one of the things about mineral resources is chris ellison's one of the most entrepreneurial people in the country he'll have an absolute crack at things and in sort of uh in cricket terms he's going to be you know trying to clear the boundary rather than just nudging one through uh, for a single um, sometimes his investments don't pay off but when they do he gets many 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 times on their on his money Lithium is not a rare commodity. There's plenty of it. Um, it has, um, and it's not particularly profit, profitable to um, to mine. The the real profitability in lithium is in uh, processing the into spodumene and uh, mineral resources. Were mining for a while and selling, and then realised yeah. that the big money was uh, was down track. So they kept mining and stockpiling. Looked around the world for someone to partner up with, and partnered with uh, Albemarle a couple of years ago, the big US company, and turned their hundred and roughly thirty million dollar investment in in uh, buying Mount Marion and and um, building their uh, their mining facilities. Um, they sold half of it for $1.3 billion. It is a fabulous, uh, really well-run business and, um, yeah, very happy shareholder of it. And I've got clients who are, but, yeah, the, the sort of uh, specky plays in Zimbabwe, um, no, thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's quite different, isn't it? All right. Um, Liz wants a view, um, uh, James, on GWA Group. Liz says it has major brands like Coroma, in its stable and the renovation market is booming, yet its share price has been flat for some time. Would love an opinion on it. Of course, GWA is in that um, uh, building fixtures for residential and commercial premises uh, through a range of channels here in New Zealand and uh, and also overseas. So it's basically a bathroom and, and kitchen sort of fittings and hardware, is it? It is. Um, it's been around for a long time. It's done its thing for a long time. It's a, you know, it's a reasonable business. It's not particularly good. It's not particularly bad. It's got a decent sort of dividend yield. I think about three and a half percent fully franked. I don't think you're going to get into trouble owning it. Um, I think you're going to have a pretty reliable income. I just don't think it's going to give you uh, a hell of a lot of growth of either earnings or um, or of uh, 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 capital or, or of, of dividends. Look, I'm not negative on it. I just can't find any great reason to be excited. I think there's so many better companies around um, in the um, in the plumbing space. Reese is a fantastic business. It's probably a bit expensive at the moment, uh, which GWA isn't. I just don't know that your um, confidence will be met that they are going to have a, a, 
a huge amount of growth um, from the renovation cycle. They they haven't so far. It's been okay, but hmm. yeah, uh, it's neutral. Okay. All right, Chris GWA. Well, we talk about conditions being good, but that chart's not reflecting that, is it? Uh, I think uh, we've had a recent fall in the uh, Aussie dollar. They import most of their gear, which hurts them a little bit. Uh, and and for me, because they're focusing on commercial office and high rise, that is actually not booming at the moment. So for me, it's a tricky one. It's it's a solid hold. You know, you might ache out. You know, five percent, ten percent share price growth if you're lucky. They'll, they'll be fine, they'll be around in 10 years time, so we're not worried about them. But if you're looking for a, a like for like, have a look at uh, Reliance Worldwide. Reliance specialise in next generation uh, plumbing solutions and water piping, uh, particularly in the US and, and Europe. They really, really are playing in that uh, renovation space. And of course, a lot of Europe and US have a lot of uh, renovation waiting to go because of lockdown, so expect them uh, to continue to outperform and uh, they actually uh, benefit with this recent fall in the Aussie dollar. So for me, have a look at Reliance. It's got a good looking chart, uh, a good 10, 15% upside and a true global player. So uh, that's probably my pick, bigger company uh, facing uh, better tailwinds for mine. Okay, all right. Now Fitzstock Charles wants a view on Lendlease. The, uh, uh, the big, uh, the big builder and property portfolio <laughs> manager Charles says, wondering what the team's opinion is of lend lease at the moment as the UK starts to emerge from lockdown. Of course, lend lease, uh, a global construction company. Um, Chris, what do you think of lend lease? Oh, lend lease, lend lease is in that sort of basket of it used to be one of the best companies in Australia by miles, trained some of the best global leaders and Australian leaders, even to this day, you look at people's CVs and they actually learn their trade and lend lease. Again, it's been very, very disappointing. If you look at their share price performance versus the global construction and infrastructure uh, boom that we hear about, that's not a great looking chart for me. It's been very disappointing. I know they've got out of their engineering space and I just don't necessarily think the UK is gonna to get them out of it necessarily. Look, it looks pretty cheap down here. Uh, we think it can probably get to around $13. So there's probably some value there. But I just think they've they've had a history of underperforming um, really uh, for the last couple of years. And, and these are great conditions or should be for them and they haven't been profiting compared to their peers. So for me, it's probably, uh, you know, one I'm not getting excited out, yeah. you know, despite value. Yeah. Um, does that sort of weigh on your decision when they they don't perform in times that they should have and the, and the market loses confidence in them? Well, I think we've seen the market has no loyalty anymore. Uh, that's yeah. been a transition over the last 10 years. And once you lose it, it is hard to get back. Uh, we obviously saw that in, in Boral, uh, which got down to very, very frightening levels back uh, last March and they've been crawling up uh, but they required a whole new management system and uh, and some teething issues in the US and been lucky enough to to get seven to to creep on because they think they can turn it around. So unfortunately, I think Len Lease is suffering a little bit from that. Uh, the marginal investors staying away and uh, it's going to take a bit to to win them back. As I said, the best thing going for them is 
is their share price is pretty cheap versus hopefully better conditions again that we've touched on moving forward. Yeah. Uh, James, what's your view of Lendlease? Yeah, I agree with all of that. Look, they have been a big disappoint, uh, disappointer for a number of years, having been a wonderful company for decades. I do like the sign that they're starting to trim down their business a little bit. They announced yesterday the sale of their services business to yeah. ServiceStream, uh, a business that they haven't had a lot of success with. And I think the consolidation of uh, the portfolio of businesses within Lendlease is probably a good sign. Um, as Chris mentioned, if they're not doing well in a you know strong sort of construction uh, cycle, then when are they going to do well? They are a very, very good operator. Um, you'd like to think that um, government spending on infrastructure in Australia and UK and various other markets will will they'll get their share of that. Olympics coming to uh, coming to Brisbane, you know maybe they'll get one of the developments along the Kawahalisi River um, or whatever it is up there. And they um, they are uh, they're better companies to have. They've been a big disappointment. Uh, um, they're not expensive. I, if I owned them, I wouldn't sell them. But I'd be struggling to find a reason to buy them. Okay. All right. Let's recap the uh, the first five stocks uh, here on the call. Stock of the day was Evolution. I know from both James and Chris. Um, Chris uh, prefers Oz Minerals. Um, South 32, a, uh, a hold from Chris, a no from James. Horizon, uh, a yes from both if you're after income, an income return. Uh, 7% dividend yield at the moment is pretty good. Uh, so if you're an income investor, uh, probably worth a look. Um, get good income return, good dividend yield with a bit of growth if you're a growth investor you probably wouldn't be interested because it's um, not that exciting. Uh, prospect Resources, with its uh, of interest in Zimbabwe, a no from both. Uh, James says if you if if you want to have a be in that sector, look at Mineral Resources as an option. Um, and for Chris, it's Ioneer and Novanix are, are probably better options for you. Uh, GWA. A hold from uh, Chris and O from James. Uh, Chris prefers Alliance in that sector if you want to sort of invest in uh, in that particular area. Um, and lend lease a no. Um, Sarah wants a view on Magellan Financial. Is this a long-term buy or hold? Of course, uh, Magellan is the uh, the big funds management business with interests. Uh, here in Australia, New Zealand, invest for institutional and retail investors. Uh, James, Magellan is sort of the mothership, isn't it, of all the Magellan funds? Listed and unlisted, uh, but MFG that Sarah's talking about is uh, is the mothership. It's the, the management company that collects the fees, and it is a fabulous business. Um, they've built... Uh, a business with great distribution, um, fantastic marketing. It's incredibly capital light business. Their return on equity is in excess of 40%, which is by far and away best of breed um, of uh, any company of any uh, any of its peers. Um, they've had a bit of a difficult year, partly um, a bit of a sector rotation 
globally away from those um, high growth companies that they tend to favour. And they've had a couple that haven't been particularly good. Alibaba's had its problems. They've been a big investor in. And, um, and Netflix, they're probably timing on Netflix hasn't been all that great. But it, it's a really, really good business. What we have to remember is that a fund manager is a cyclical business. And when markets are doing well, people tend to be pouring money in. So they're, um, they make money by clipping the ticket on the amount of funds they manage. So when markets are doing well, they, they get fund inflows, the uh, investments that they've already got are rising in value and they get PE expansion. And when we go through a cyclical downturn, all of those things tend to be uh, reversed. So um, it's a really good business. You've got to be a little bit careful about any sort of cyclical business and be aware that um, it, there is some volatility in, in earnings. Um, but overall, I, it is clearly best of breed uh, for me in, in that sector. It will be interesting to see if Hamish Douglas and his team um, sort of stick to their guns if this sector rotation continues for, uh, for a, a long time. But they're pretty conservative. They're sitting on a fair bit of cash as well. So they um, can take opportunities if they come up. I, I like it. Okay, so at these levels, yeah, um, yeah, I'm happy to own at these levels. Yeah, okay, but but it's not low risk. No, Chris. Yeah, they have been uh, superstars. They had a six to twelve month little uh, uh, headwind back in a couple of uh, uh, mega tech stocks in the US, and of course Alibaba being shut down with their and financial floats. Uh, but really, for me, they've got a really nice business, the fund management business, which they've simplified, which was a positive. And also they, they have another division which will invest directly in other companies, have a bit more of a hands-on role. It's a way for Australians to get access to a bit of a global exposure. Uh, they do rake in some fantastic fees as well. And, and their dividend yields are uh, over 4%, about 4.5% with 75% franking. So again, 6% uh, yield with uh, overseas exposure benefiting from that uh, fall in the Aussie dollar uh, with a bit of that risk off trade as well and, and iron ore probably peaking. So that trend looks great. There's more upside to come. Uh, it is in that higher risk. Uh, so be prepared for the volatility. Uh, it would be a classic one if in a month's time we had uh, a bit of a global sell off on uh, Delta in the northern hemisphere. Uh, which will affect them, of course, having some of those growth stocks and maybe uh, look to buy a few because my belief is that central banks are going to let things run a little bit hotter for a little bit longer and keep those interest rates and cash down, which is obviously good for equities. So uh, it's a way of getting that global exposure and they've got a good track record. So use any dip as an opportunity to add if you, you're an assertive investor, certainly not for the conservative investor. Okay, so you wouldn't be buying at these prices, wait for a pullback? Well, I'm happy to buy here because okay. I think there's more upside. But uh, don't go all in like anything. Be prepared to chip away if you don't own yeah. it. But if you're older, you should be happy. Okay, uh, uh, James, let me throw in what some of the critics have uh, said about Magellan, that yes, it's been a rock star. Um, now it's too big, so it's not nimble enough to uh, keep producing the returns that it has been in the past to keep that uh, fee growth uh, co coming through. And um, some unkindly liken it to platinum at its peak uh, when it was the previous Rockstar fund manager, which has now slowed down a bit. 
Well, there's a number of things there, David. One of it is um, uh, too big. I absolutely don't agree. For If they're playing in the Australian market, um, they're probably not too big. They're right. very, very big. But, but they're, you know, they're investing offshore. They're investing predominantly in global companies listed in the U.S., um, they're tiny in the in the scheme of um, of the markets they're playing with, and when people talk about a fund manager being too big, they're basically saying that they're killing their own market if they want to uh, either either be buying or selling stocks they're that they're interested in. That is just not the case. Um, they're a peppercorn globally. Um, they're um, well, maybe yeah. bigger than a peppercorn, but but um, no, absolutely don't agree with that. In terms of them being um, like a platinum, I think it, it, it's too early to tell. Platinum's always been a little bit of a value investor, and they that was wonderful for them for a while. The cycle turned, and they didn't change their investment style. I mentioned earlier it'll be interesting to see if Hamish and his team yes. uh, stick to their guns, um, if this sector rotation is likely to continue. And I think it's really too early to uh, to make that call. Um, okay. it, it's possible. But I, I think it's too early to, to, um, to say that for, um, for Magellan. Okay. All right, Chris, um, Ali wants a view on ARB Corporation. So they're mm-hmm. in the, uh, how would you say, uh, they pimp four-wheel drives, don't they, basically? And, uh, exactly what they do. That's perfect. And have a, if you want a I bull bar, if you want a tent on your four-wheel drive right. or uh, a pull-out fridge out of the side, um, this is what they do, and boy, has COVID been good for them. It certainly has, and they've really dominated. Their marketing's been fantastic with their own brand as well, so I think that's an important tick for them. Uh, the the staycation in Australia has been a massive boom for them. Uh, the strong Aussie dollars really help because, again, they manufacture offshore. They try and control their costs through manufacturing. Yeah. And... To be honest, notwithstanding we're, we're locked up in a couple of main cities at the moment, there's probably a little bit more to run in this stock. So it, it doesn't look cheap. Uh, I'm probably got to hold on it, but the, the trend's still their friend here. Uh, we're going to have a summer in Australia again, and people have seen the joys of the outdoors, and uh, you only have to see the price of a, a land cruiser these days. Uh, you know, putting on a $2,000 bull bar when uh, your, your ride's worth 150 is chump change at the moment. So... Uh, it's been a huge boom for Australia uh, to get out to the outdoors for those regional towns. And I do expect it to continue. But again, you know, the big test for them uh, will be what happens uh, when markets open up again and what's their strategy overseas when it becomes more important. So they're not just in Australia as well, but really the focus has been on Australia. I also like Super Cheap Auto as a more diversified play. Uh, it has right. a pretty good dividend of about 5%. Uh, they own uh, the Super Cheap, but also Rebel Sport and uh, BCF. Uh, again, very outdoors focused, but a bit more diversified. So for people looking around, uh, uh, Super Cheap's worth a look and has a very good yield as well. Okay. Um, James, it's uh, um, f- still family run, is that? ARB, it is, absolutely. So... I love a founder-led company yep. and the Brown brothers have been in this business for a long time. It's a wonderful business. It's really well managed. They've got a clear um, differentiator on the uh, in, in the market that they operate, their market leader. Um, they've expanded overseas. I think I saw that they are going to be fitting out 
these products on um, Ford Rangers globally, which will give them a, a leg of growth um, for a number of years, you'd think. I think it's a wonderful business. I just think it's too expensive at the moment. I, I like it. I like it a lot, but um, I'd prefer to see a fairly significant pullback. It's had a massive run up. I've got a, a mate who worked for them and uh, all of these companies catering for Australians who are stuck at home is enormous. He was telling me he was out at uh, an Orange Field Day um, a couple of months ago and the local Jayco caravan bloke um, in, uh, uh, in that area had, uh, had six caravans on his lot and he's never seen so few and uh and the guy said well these are just waiting to be picked up we we've got a back order of six eight twelve months so australians are buying into this sort of stuff incredibly well and these companies are riding it it's fascinating um james arrow wants a view on race oncology uh, a pharmaceutical business um, developing dr- chemotherapy drugs, their biggest one, uh, Byzantine, um, which is uh, going through clinical studies as well. Um, one of these companies that you hope um, does really well because of the area that they're in. Oh, absolutely, you hope it does well. You hope it does well for you know, humanity as well as yes. for investors. Yep. But uh, buying a company on hope is not a good enough reason for me. Um, I really hope they they are um, successful in what they do, but it's probably a fair way away. It's complete yep. speculation from an investment point of view uh, rather than investing. So um, if you, you know, uh, Aaron, if you've got the confidence and you, or you know something or think you know something, good luck to you. But um, I couldn't make out a case for it for from an investment point of view, but um, for many reasons, I hope it does well, but it'll do well without me. Yeah, okay. Uh, Chris, th- this is the thing you've got to weigh up, isn't it? That sort of you, uh, you're backing and you, you hope the technology uh, will come off because it will um, affect so many people for, for the better in, in the medical world um, with cancers and the like. But it's all, it can be a long time frame for it to become uh, commercially attractive. Well, it can, and, and we know with new molecules to treat cancers, the the success rate is you know one in twenty if we're lucky. So yeah. it is high risk. Uh, uh, the market loves it. Obviously, uh, it's gone up four four and a half times in the last uh, few months. So they've had a lot of progress and good trial results, albeit relatively early trials for both skin cancer and uh, and breast cancer. So it's certainly looking promising. Um, I think, Kosha, you and I have touched base on this before uh, on Chimeric, which is uh, looking at uh, uh, brain tumor drugs, uh, developing uh, novel treatments is, is if you want to be in this space, and a lot of people do, not only to make money, but to hopefully back something that's going to help humanity, they might have been touched personally or their families, to have a look at all of the players and, and put a put, portfolio together, uh, speak to your advisor, look at the research and, and pick four or five in a little basket and make sure that basket is still appropriate for that high risk reward space. You need to be an assertive investor and, and, and not put as much as you put into uh, some of the blue chip portfolio stocks as well. So uh, I'd be more comfortable people looking at uh, a, a basket in this space if they're happy to take the risk, but certainly uh, 
the results so far have been very promising and, and there's enough market believers out there. So best of luck there, Aaron, and also to Race Oncology. Hope they do well. Yeah, yeah, it's a really good way of uh, a good way of approaching it. Um, Chris Ollie wants a view on Atlas Arteria, the uh, the big toll road um, owner, um, mainly overseas. Uh, France, it's got some toll roads. Uh, they've got one uh, in Texas and also Germany as well. Um, it's sort of an an overseas version of Transurban, is it? It is an overseas version of Transurban. Of course, Transurban has some assets in the US and uh, and Canada now to offset, uh, I guess, the lockdowns in Sydney and Melbourne uh, currently, which are impacting them. Uh, look, Atlas, again, is is really you're there for the, the yield and the infrastructure play. Uh, while US bond yields uh, seem low, these infrastructure plays should hold up quite well. Um, it is a reopening trade uh, in the US and Europe. Uh, and that's really the question, is Delta going to slow that down? Uh, so I'm a little bit cautious with this. It, it isn't super cheap. Uh, we've got a hold on it at the moment. It's paying you just enough to hold it. And and I guess uh, if you're willing to hold over a couple of years, we should see those traffic numbers uh, recover. Certainly the numbers that were out for uh, last month were a lot better. So the trend's there. Uh, but I would probably prefer uh, Transurban, if, particularly if we have an extended lockdown, unfortunately, and I hope we don't in Sydney and Melbourne, and that price comes off uh, by another dollar or so, I'd be more comfortable with Transurban uh, and their assets and their quality of assets. Uh, ah. So for me, it's probably a hold. Uh, there is some nervousness just whether we're going to have pullbacks there in their key markets. Uh, Probably not so much in the US, but in, in Germany and France, where their other assets are, and into Switzerland. Um, have a look at APA uh, if you're in that infrastructure and utility uh, space. Uh, APA at that 950 mark, I think, looks uh, pretty good value uh, and has pretty good long term security of contracts as well. Okay, and, and APA is an, it's basically the toll road for um, for gas. Is that instead of roads, it's it's pipes carrying uh, gas from gas producers, and they clip the ticket and charge a toll on it. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's uh, uh, whatever it's people. Road. But they clip the ticket on both ends of the gas pipeline, so they've they've got yeah. a pretty good go going. And they've come back a fair way for me into buy territory, notwithstanding long term, they're going to have to look at strategic growth assets to keep that yeah. going. Yeah, but a good yield there. Uh, James, what do you think of Atlas? Yeah, same thing. They're really good quality assets. Um, it had some disruption, obviously, with lockdowns. It'll be interesting to see longer term if, if uh, people do go back into the office or go back in you know a few days a week um, globally that, that will be an impact on the number of people using their toll roads and and tunnels i think one of their um, assets is a tunnel in germany the other sort of concern is that um, if we do see inflation um, become structural around the world and rising interest rates that tends to be um, negative for the valuations of these sort of infrastructure companies. I'm not negative on it. The yields, you know, it's okay. Uh, probably Transurban better. I, I agree. Uh, uh, APA Group better. But if you're going to build a portfolio and you've got 15, 20 stocks that you want to hold, um, this just wouldn't be one of them for me. So I'm not negative on it, but I wouldn't buy yep. it. 
But if you're an income investor, if you're, you're sort of a self-funded retiree and you, you, know, you want a portion of income there because you're getting nothing on your term deposits or anything like that, um, does it rank amongst, That's got year, amongst yield performers though? It, it's definitely got a place for those types of investors, there's no doubt. But when we're talking about uh, APA Group and earlier about um, about Horizon, uh, much higher yield right. uh, in those sorts of businesses, yeah, it's, it's got a place. It just doesn't but have a place But there are better ones there. Yeah, I think so. Okay. I think All so. Right. That is a top 10 for a diversified uh, income portfolio. I, I don't think it does. Right. Okay. All right. Good points. All right, uh, our final stock, uh, James, Todd wants a view on Catapult Group International, the global sports analytics company that's uh, based in Melbourne. It provides um, a lot of the data on the players in your professional football team. Basically, they have AFL tied up, the trackers that they put in the back of jumpers, uh, to measure workloads. They uh, do it for a lot of NFL teams uh, in the US and, and also EPL as well in English Premier League uh, based out of Melbourne. Uh, what do you think of Catapult, James? David, you'd stolen my thunder. That's exactly right when you look at sporting teams and see that little sort of bump in the, the just below the back of the neck at the top of their jersey. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's what it is. It's the GPS tracker, tracker although quite why anyone would want to watch AFLs beyond me um the (laughs) was deliberate (laughs) the um uh it's that that they've grown their business sort of slowly and steadily they are international as you say epl and um and in the nfl and continue to do so but they're not profitable and they're quite a way off being profitable again i I quite like the story but i prefer to have companies that are um you know that are actually producing profits and paying dividends. Um, this is, um, it's a no for me. It's not a hard no, but um, it's not one that I would buy. Sure. Chris? Look, it's one of those businesses you hear about and you see it and you go, that's awesome. They're going globally. They picked up all of these global sporting companies and uh, they're going to smash the lights out. And then you look at their earnings and revenue and profitability over the last five years and it really hasn't met the mark, which is disappointing. We still like it at Morgan's. We think it's probably uh, got the potential to be $2.50. But a lot of that is about uh, sport recovering globally as well and sports spend. I mean, this is a marginal cost. Are they going to pay overs for extra technology uh, enhancements? That comes out of the budget, which again has been uh, smashed, particularly about uh, the uh, no crowds in so many sports for so long. So for me, uh, it's a tricky one, notwithstanding it's cheap. if people want to look at some cool technology, have a look at uh, the old uh, My Physique. Uh, the tick is AHI now. They've got some really good imaging technology, which uh, they're using for uh, uh, insurance. They're looking for uh, clothing and footwear uh, just by using your phone to, to do 3D scans of, of people's feet and bodies. Very, very cool technology uh, and global. So there's another one if you're looking in this space. But uh, for me, I agree with James. It's just a bit tricky uh, at this stage. If if you are going for companies that don't make money, they need to really, really demonstrate to you a pathway to that and, and be a hyper growth or very high growth company. 
because otherwise you could be here for a long, long time. And, and of course, they have to keep putting their hand out, raising more and more money uh, to keep those growth, uh, growth trajectories on track. So a bit tricky one at the moment. I think there's better things out there in this market. Yeah, yeah. I, I did like when they first floated, they, um, they, they got a lot of the high performance coaches of many of the elite sporting teams around the world to put money in. And um, so, so they control the budgets of, uh, of a lot of big sporting organisations and their recommendations. I thought that That's, was smart marketing that, that, when they first listed. Um, that guys, is smart. I'll, I'll, yep, sorry, Joe. I was Joe. going to say that, that is smart. I, I like that. Um, I've generally agreed with what Chris has said today, but I would take issue with the um, my physique. Might be all right for him sitting up on the northern beaches, but me uh, hunkered down, uh, sort of taking up uh, cooking during lockdown and and uh, eating far too much cheese. I don't want anyone to look at my physique. Um, very pleased we're shooting from here up. All right. I'm sure they got a filter in the app, James. It's all good. <laughs> I love it. All right. I didn't come across my physique before, so I'm going to go and have a look at that. James Rosenberg from ELNC Bayview. Good on you, mate. Thank you for that. You can whip your tie off Pleasure. now and, uh, and start to relax. Uh, Chris, Chris McDonald from Morgan's. Always great to catch up. Thank you, gents, for joining us. Thanks, Koshy. Thanks, James. Good on you, guys. Thanks. Uh, let's just recap the, uh, the final five stocks in the call today. Magellan. A buy from both uh, James and Chris. Um, ARB, um, a hold from Chris, a no from James. Uh, Chris prefers super cheap auto, um, which, uh, or the super cheap group, which owns uh, super cheap auto, Rebel Sport and BCF, which is boating, camping and fishing, if, if you want to look in that sector. ARB, great business, but as is fully priced at the moment. Um, Race Oncology, a no from both. Atlas, a no, or or a hold from both of them. Um, If you're an income investor after a good dividend yield, uh, Transurban and APA and Horizon, as we talked about earlier on the show, would be better for that component of your portfolio. Uh, And Catapult, a no from both, uh, Chris says in that sector. Have a look at my physique. Um, that's it for our show for today. If you'd like any stocks that you want an opinion on, put them in an email to us and we'll put them to our expert panel. Uh, the call at osbiz.com.au or tweet us uh, the stocks at using the at TV handle. All the stocks in the call's portfolio, head to osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. And at the end of the day, If you want a complete catch up of what's been happening on markets in the world of startups, in business, uh, subscribe to our newsletter. I'll be back midday tomorrow for another edition of The Call. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.